0: Today on Let the Bible Speak. Have you been converted to Christ? Was your conversion genuine? Find out how you can know for sure today on Let the Bible Speak. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. It's good to be with you today, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be your host as we turn to the Scriptures and study the Word of God together. If this is your first time to watch Let the Bible Speak, this is simply a Bible study program. We're not here for your money in any way, shape, or form. We're simply here to turn minds and hearts to the Word of God and to Let the Bible Speak concerning issues that pertain to our souls and our eternal salvation. Salvation from sin can only take place when one is converted from his sin unto righteousness. We usually describe someone who believes and becomes a follower and adherent of the Christian faith as having been converted. But just what is conversion? When and how is a person converted? And how can we know that we have been truly converted? I want to begin today in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. Some controversy arose among Jews in the early church when the Gentiles began being converted to Christ and added to the church. Beginning in verse 1, Luke tells us, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all of the brethren. Now, Some of the Jewish leaders of the early churches were questioning the conversion of the Gentiles because they had not been circumcised according to the requirement of Jewish law. They were arguing that their conversion was not genuine if they did not submit to the laws of Moses. So a great meeting was called between the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem to discuss and settle the matter, and using the Word of God, they did just that. Some today question their own conversion, or the conversions of others, for other various reasons. So how can we know if we have really been converted? That will be the object of our study today as we pose the question to you, was your conversion genuine? And we'll turn to the Word of God to see how we can know the answer to that question after a song from the congregation. When he cannot be saved and be in fellowship with God without being converted. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 18 verse 3, "Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven." This is one of 10 times the words converted, conversion, or convert occur in the King James Version. In the English language, the word convert, according to Webster's dictionary, means to change, to transform, or to turn as you would, for example, convert grain into flour. The Greek word the New Testament writers used means to turn and then turn again. Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words says that the word implies a turning from and a turning to. It means, in other words, to turn away from sin and turn to righteousness, to turn from Satan and turn to God, to turn from self and turn to Christ. In other words, it is a total transformation and a change of state and a change of direction that takes place when one hears, believes, and obeys the gospel. Conversion is not merely an encounter or an experience. It is a total revolution of heart and life that leads to a completely different course in life. It is a measurable thing. Conversion changes our thinking, it changes our believing, it changes our allegiance, and ultimately it changes our living, and it changes our eternal destination. Now, Many claim to have been converted at some point in their life, but they not, that may not necessarily be so. I meet people from time to time who are worried about their conversion. They're concerned that they may not have genuinely been converted, and that may indeed may be the case. So how can we know if our conversion is true and genuine? How can we know that it was indeed real? Well, Let's begin by noticing how we cannot know whether conversion was genuine. Some have a false confidence and they're basing their claims of conversion on some things that do not really measure the genuineness of conversion. In fact, they can be very deceptive and make us think we have been converted when in truth no real conversion has taken place. First of all, you cannot know by your feelings whether you have been converted. I know a lot of people put a great amount of stock in the way they feel about things especially when it comes to spiritual matters. In fact, often the most difficult ones to persuade with the truth are those who have strong emotional responses to things and who rely on their feelings to guide them. It's very hard to argue with what a person feels or thinks they have experienced without appearing to accuse them of being dishonest or insincere. But this highlights the folly of allowing our emotions to be the standard by which we judge matters of truth. In fact, it's a dangerous standard. Wise Solomon said, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. And the Apostle Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. By faith he means, as faith always means in the Bible, a trust or belief in what God has said in His Word. It is a belief in what God has revealed. Sight, on the other hand, refers to the things we deduce by our own senses, what we see, or our own experiences, or our feelings. So to use our emotional reaction to something as evidence that what we have done is right, well, that's to walk by sight instead of walking by faith, which is to trust what God has said in His Word. Now, Don't get me wrong, emotion is not a bad thing. God created us with emotions, and it's a wonderful thing to feel happy or relieved and to truly know peace and joy because our sins have been forgiven and we are right with God by His grace. But you see, feelings can and often are wrong, and they're misleading. Feelings prove nothing, and they are certainly not evidence of a genuine conversion. Shedding tears does not mean that one has been converted. Having goosebumps does not mean that one has been converted. You know, Paul felt as though he was doing the right thing when he opposed Christianity and persecuted Christ's followers. He stated this several times when he wrote to the church. But of course, he wasn't doing right. And we know he wasn't doing right. He was very wrong in the course he had been pursuing before he met Jesus and heard the gospel and obeyed it. So we can't trust feelings. And then, our parents' religion is not a way of knowing if our conversion was genuine. Just because our parents believed something and raised us to believe the same thing, that doesn't mean that thing is true. Again, Paul spent much of his life living by the tradition of his fathers, according to Galatians chapter 1, verses 14-16. through 16. Now, while parents instilling truth and faith in the hearts of their children is indeed a wonderful thing and is by God's design... The fact that our parents believe something and teach us to believe something in and of itself doesn't make that thing the truth. And it is often an incredibly difficult thing to get people to see truth when it means breaking away from the false religion and false beliefs of parents and grandparents. But sometimes that has to be the case. Jesus one time said that if you don't hate father and mother... You can't be His disciple. That doesn't mean we despise our parents. What it means is if we're not willing to turn away from their error to embrace Christ's truth, then we can't follow Him. But then we also cannot know whether our conversion was genuine by the testimony of others. Simply because most people make religious claims and believe things about salvation, that doesn't make them so. You know, it's a popular practice today, speaking of the word testimony, for people to offer to others what they call their testimony about how they were converted and saved. And often these, these uh, accounts are very compelling. Uh, they're very emotionally moving. They're very convincing. They usually tell of great circumstances and events, and sometimes uh, supernatural or spiritual experiences that led to their conversion. And others then look to have a similar experience or think that conversion must take place in the way that person claims to have been saved. But, friend, they can be just as wrong. Perhaps they've been misled. Perhaps they've been deceived by their emotions. Again, it's a wonderful thing if a person has been converted to share the gospel with others and to encourage them to be converted to Christ. But we must remember that people are not saved by personal testimonies and personal experiences don't determine what is true in the sight of God. We must be looking to a different standard or a higher rule by which to measure true and genuine conversion. Now, Is there such a standard? Is there an objective way instead of a subjective way to know that our conversion is real and genuine, that we truly have been saved and are converted to Christ? Well, indeed there is. Listen to Paul recounting to the Corinthian church how they had come to Christ when Paul first went to that city and preached the gospel to them. He writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in the first verse. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not or were not, with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Listen now, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now what's he saying here? What does he mean that he came in demonstration of the Spirit and power, and thus that their faith should be in that as opposed to something else? Well, a few verses later, in verses 12 and 13, he says... Now we have received, and by we, the antecedent of that would be the apostles, Paul and those like him. He says, We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Listen now, these things we, Paul and the other apostles, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. What does the Holy Spirit teach with? Words comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You see, the Holy Spirit furnished the apostles with the words to communicate the mind and will of God. And the Corinthians were converted by those words. They were converted to Christ by the gospel that the apostles preached to them and that the apostles verified by the miracles that they wrought. Now in the Roman letter, Paul refers to this as the witness of the Spirit. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, Paul there says, "...the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God." Now, the Greek word that Paul wrote here, which is translated, "...bears witness with," means to testify jointly. It means to corroborate by concurrent evidence. In other words, there is an agreement between what the Spirit of God testifies and how our spirit testifies. There's an agreement between the two. Now we tend to take terms like this, especially when the Holy Spirit is involved, and make them mystical and abstract. People for some reason always want to jump to the conclusion that when the Holy Spirit is said to be involved in something that it must involve a vision or an inner voice or a feeling or perhaps a better-felt-than-told experience. It's something mystical that you just quite can't put your finger on. But This is not the case at all. Remember Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 verses 12 and 13 that the Spirit had given he and the other apostles words to speak by which to convey spiritual things or spiritual truths. Now the Holy Spirit gave to the apostles the gospel message to preach and to write down for us to believe, obey, and then share with others. Where does it come from? From the Word of God which the Holy Spirit produced. The power of conversion, friend, is not in an experience or a feeling or an inter-sense of some kind. The great power of conversion is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is God's power to save, Romans 1.16. The word is the Spirit's means. It is the Spirit's instrumentality of converting the sinner to Christ. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the Holy Spirit bears witness with or testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's not an inner feeling, it is concrete and objective evidence that means we can be assured that we belong to Him. Well, if the Spirit of Christ or if the Spirit has testified of Christ and salvation in His Word, if He has revealed God's plan of salvation through the preaching and writing of the apostles, how then can there be agreement between the Spirit and our spirit? It's quite simple. There must be an agreement between what the Spirit has revealed, what the Spirit has testified in the gospel, and how we have responded to that testimony. Now friend, the New Testament tells us how people are converted to Christ. It tells us how the apostles went forth and what they preached to convert people. And if we believe and obey the same things the apostles preached to them back then, well, we can be converted to Christ in the same way those people were. And we can have the assurance of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God that we have been converted that we have turned and turned again, as the word refers to. We have turned away from sin and turned to Christ. The first thing that must take place, according to the Scripture, is that we must hear the Word of God. That's the first step in conversion. We must hear the Word of God. Now, no person can be converted apart from hearing the Gospel. And that's what's wrong with a lot of the sensational claims that people have made down through the years about how they were supposedly saved by some sort of a, uh, experience or feeling or bright light in the middle of the night and so forth. No person can be converted apart from hearing the gospel. That's why Christ commissioned the apostles to go and preach it. That's why we today have the New Testament record of what the apostles preached so that we too can hear it and believe the same things and obey them and be converted. Now Paul said in Romans 10 verse 17 that the word of God brings about faith. When we hear the word of God, it produces faith. Now again, faith is not a feeling. Faith is not a hunch. Faith is not an intuition. Uh, Faith is not a leap in the dark. It is an obedient, active trust or belief in the word of God that we have heard. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. Hearing the gospel and believing what we have heard causes us to repent. The word repent means to change, to change our will, resulting in a change of life. Repentance takes place here and it is manifest in our action, the way that we live. Now, Our belief in the gospel and the conviction that comes through hearing and believing the word of God causes us to make a life-changing decision, to turn from our sin, to stop practicing sin, and to instead trust and obey the Lord. The Scripture says in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. This revolution of mind and will causes us then to confess our faith in and our allegiance to Christ. As Paul said, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans chapter 10 and verse 10. Follow this now. And this change of mind through faith, this change of will through repentance, this change of allegiance through confession, causes one to want to have his sins forgiven and be united with Christ in a new relationship with Christ. And that's why Peter said in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 that baptism is the answer or the appeal of a good conscience toward God. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Peter said in Acts 2, and verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism thus puts us into a new relationship with Christ, according to Galatians 3, verse 27, and Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Now, friend, that's the pattern we see again and again as the apostles, by inspiration of the Spirit, went throughout the world preaching the gospel. Read the book of Acts. That's what took place time and time again as they went about converting people from being sinners to being disciples of Jesus. Now, if that's what the Spirit testifies in His Word, then how can my spirit jointly testify with God's Spirit that I am His child, that I have been truly converted when I have complied with the teaching of the gospel? not just baptism, but when I have truly placed my faith in Christ, repented of my sins, confessed Him as the Christ, the Son of God, and been united with Him in baptism for the forgiveness of my sins, then I can truly know with all of the evidence of heaven and the Holy Spirit through His Word backing it up that I have been converted. Yes, that ought to make me feel good. But it's not the feeling that testifies to a genuine conversion. It's the testimony of God's Word, which is the Spirit's witness. Now then, let's apply that for just a moment. How can we know if our conversion was not genuine? I speak with people from time to time who worry greatly about that. Is it possible that you may believe you have been converted but no true conversion has taken place? Well, first, those who were not taught the gospel or did not understand the message of the gospel could not have been converted. It would be impossible for them to be converted. Now, while baptism is necessary, as we have pointed out, the fact remains you can be baptized a hundred times without ever being converted. Baptism is only for those who believe the gospel because they've heard the gospel. Baptism is a step of obedient faith. You see, babies can't hear and understand the gospel and turn their hearts to Christ. And so being sprinkled as a small child or an infant, that doesn't make one converted. It just makes a baby wet and upset. Baptism is for those who hear, understand, and believe the gospel and desire to turn to Christ and be saved. Also, those who did not truly believe the gospel have not been converted. Being baptized because others were being baptized or being baptized to satisfy someone else, perhaps parents or a boyfriend or girlfriend or a husband or wife, that's not conversion. Those who never repented of sin have not been converted. Now that doesn't mean a sinlessly perfect life. But you see, there must be a decision to turn away from one sinful living for there to be a conversion. Those who were too ashamed or embarrassed to confess the Christ, they weren't converted. A person who is converted to Christ loves Christ and claims allegiance to Christ. There is no such thing as an incognito Christian or a secret disciple. And those who have not been immersed for the forgiveness of sins have never been genuinely converted. For this step was commanded by Jesus himself and is the consummating step in one's turning to Christ. Listen, friend. Hearing the gospel changes a person's understanding. Believing changes a person's mind. Repenting changes a person's will and determination. Confessing Christ changes a person's allegiance. But baptism, when preceded by faith, repentance, and confession changes a person's state in relation to Christ. Galatians 3 and verse 21. Have you taken all of those steps? Have you truly been converted? If not, I hope you'll be converted to the Savior today. Christianity is not merely identifying with some religious system. Christianity is a total change of mind, heart, will and state in relation to this world and in relation to God. We'd be glad to teach you more about what the Bible says about conversion and show you how you could be converted to Jesus Christ and to His truth alone. And if we can help you in your quest to know God's Word and to obey God's Word and become a New Testament Christian, that I'd like to have that opportunity. If you'd like a copy of today's lesson so you can go back and study it further or share it with others, we'll be happy to send you that free printed transcript. Simply ask for the lesson, was your conversion genuine? And we'll get that in the mail as quickly as we can. Remember, you can also find us past videos and other transcripts on our website, ltbstv.org, and we're on social media, so We hope you'll like our pages and follow them and share them with other people and help us to grow our audience as we from week to week have the privilege of sharing the Word of God with others. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you have a great week ahead. And if it be the Lord's will, make your plan to join me back here next time for another Bible study and tell someone else to do the same. Until we meet again, may God bless you. We'll see you next time.
1: Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.